Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, hardware, technology, pop culture, entertainment, and more. You can also catch me on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. We have the simulcast up each week. We're on a bit of a hiatus on it right now, but hopefully we'll be resuming it very soon. You can catch us at Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, which is a network of newspapers where our game reviews appear. And, of course, we have our social media outlets. We have Sci-Fi Radio and Skewed and Reviewed, the magazine, which just put out its latest issue. So we're doing things a bit differently. I'm uh, joined, as usual, with Michael and Justin, but I am currently out of town while we're doing this, so I'm trying this over... Uh, the phone, and they're all hooked in at their PCs, so hopefully the audio and the quality doesn't drop out too much for you, but I just figured rather than try to get the show in late tomorrow night, let's just make sure we do it properly. So our first topic of the day was uh, breaking news today, and it relates to the Screen Actors Guild um, situation that is going on. Now, mind you, the Screen Actor Guild situation is... Uh, under ongoing, but there is uh, a little ray of hope. There's been some talks happening this week. No, uh, you know, announcement has been made, but they have continued the talks. Nobody's walked away from the talks, so there's progress. Um, good feeling of optimism. People are looking at this going, hey, the writers uh, got their situation resolved. We've had late-night talk shows resuming. A lot of other stuff is uh, planning to come very soon. I believe Saturday Night Live announced Pete Davidson is going to be kicking off their new season just in a couple of weeks. But today we got news that three female senior writers have declined to return through the Drew Barrymore show and that they are currently searching for new writers. And this apparently... Uh, as a direct result of the fact that uh, the Drew Barrymore had announced her intentions to go on with the show without writers, um, she then backed off the plans, but apparently the three writers involved were picketing outside her studio at the time and were not impressed with these plans. So, um, Justin, we'll start with you. What do you think about this, and do you think this could linger with more writers essentially having some bones to pick with their employers. I think it could, depending on specific circumstances. So I don't think this is part of like a wider issue going on, but like you mentioned, I, I think there were specific circumstances around how, you know, I'm not going to say Drew Barrymore herself, but probably her producers, uh, and maybe, Maybe her. I don't know. I don't know all of the intricacies of, of the drama uh, on this particular one, but it sounds like with the way that they handled it is probably the, the primary driving force of their actions, the writer's actions. So I don't think this is indicative of a wider uh, issue, but it could, depending on how uh, some of the behind-the-scenes negotiations or... Um, conversations happen during this whole um ordeal i guess so uh it it is interesting i i like i said i, I think it it could 
end up being bigger, uh, depending on how specific writers and producers and uh, uh, ended up how what their actions ended up causing. But uh, so far, it looks like it's a, kind of like an isolated thing. And Michael, your take, please. Yeah, I mean, the way she responded was kind of in a direct um, opposite to how some of the other talk show hosts like Jimmy Kimmel and, and some of those who actually um, started their own podcast to kind of help um, raise some funds for those who aren't get, weren't getting paid for their on their particular um, shows, a lot for the writers and a lot of the, the crew and that sort of thing. Um, I know they were looking for, you know, means to help folks get by while the uh, the strike continued. And, and so, yeah, I think, and again, I, we don't know if this was her decision initially or if this decision was um, something from the production side or, or what this was, but obviously um, it kind of shows how personal uh, a lot of these writers took, um, took to this particular um, case, right? It wasn't just about striking for what they felt they were, you know, what they what they felt they were deserved or what they needed, but it was also the relationship they had with the studios and with their, you know, the people that they wrote for, and I think there, there was a sharp contrast between um, the support that, you know, some of the, the you know, because again, the ones that were impacted, I think, the most readily were the day, daily, you know, nighttime talk shows, the daily talk shows, because those writers were more or less, that was their full-time job, right? It wasn't like um, somebody writing a screenplay or somebody who was even doing like a eight or ten episode, um, you know, show. This is something that is, you know, a daily um, recurrence of, of work. Something that they were, they were, um, those were probably the ones that were put out the most because, again, this was more or less their full-time job. wasn't something that they were, you know, they would write for a show and then they had, you know, four or five months out of the year they were doing something else. These are people that were part of their day-to-day jobs, and I think they felt slighted when she had said that she was going to move forward um, without their support, even though she did back it, you know, walk it back, initially, you know, after that. Uh, I think the damage was sort of done. So um, I don't think this is going to be a widespread thing. I think this is just making an example of one individual based on the very public response about her going back on the air. Um, again, this is a way for them to continue it to. I guess protest their um, how they were they they you know they were felt as though they not only did the studios not take them seriously but even the um, people they were writing for in this particular case they didn't feel were, were you know taking that seriously either um, so yeah I think it, I think it'll definitely be a one off thing and, and sadly it'll be one of those things where it won't even be news probably tomorrow but it is you know something to remember how serious this is for the people who are involved and and how you feel about unions and strikes you know you know everybody has their own opinion on that but the reality is these people um were out of work for five months and you know some would say that was their decision but at the end of the day they were not getting their just dues and what they felt you know they they were owed and you know you can't fault somebody for sticking by their guns and doing that so it's not a surprise to me that there would be some hard feelings and and hopefully those riders will, you know, find work elsewhere, um, land back on their feet, just like you know everybody else. And I, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think it is a way for um, the the seriousness of this whole, you know, everything about it. It really drives home how serious this was for the individuals involved. 
What's interesting too is Bill Maher had also talked about doing the same thing, and he didn't. He walked it back as well, but didn't nearly get the backlash. Uh, and a lot of people said, well, you know, it was probably a little different than a show, uh, you know, on over the air versus cable and that sort of thing. But what I find really interesting about this is the big ramifications. Yesterday, we started to hear news that Netflix was eyeing a price increase, and a lot of people were saying this is a direct result of the strike. And, you know, someone asked me what I thought about this, and I said, well, you know, use some common sense here. Do you honestly think that studios who are now having to pay out more money for the writers are going to have to pay out more money for the actors whenever this is settled? Do you honestly think they're just going to sit there and absorb these uh, costs? Of course not. They're going to pass them on to the consumer, which is what happens in every single business. And, you know, yeah, some of them may try to play the shell game and hide it by saying, okay, we're going to start shaving some costs off and stuff like that. But the bottom line is somewhere down the line, they're going to look at the numbers and say, hey, guess what? It's costing us more to create this content. Uh, so uh, we're going to have to pass it along. And that is probably going to be what happens with everyone else in the mix. Now, I mention that because since we're on the topic of writing, uh, we had word coming around today that the troubled Marvel uh, version of Blade uh, apparently is still having script issues and that a, another draft of the script may be pending. Now, for those who aren't aware, there was a version of the script turned in. Apparently, it didn't go over well. Uh, the director left over creative differences. There was a new script commissioned. Uh, everything was apparently moving along. And then, of course, the strikes hit, uh, not just the acting strike, as we know, the writing strike hit. Now that's resolved. We're hearing stories that uh, current script mm, isn't cutting it. Marvel has basically uh, told them to go back and write another one, a uh, new set of writers, but perhaps using the prior script uh, as a reference point. Michael, what do you think about this? Well, you know, it's hard to say, right? Because script rewrites tend to be, um, with the Marvel franchise, I feel a little bit better about that because one thing I think we've learned, and, and, and again, not all the Marvel movies and the Marvel shows have been have hit it out of the park, yeah, but in general, they try to be very protective of their brand and their um, IP, um, which, you know, again, we, we go back to, uh, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, where um, pretty much any script with a, with a you know, superhero in it was greenlit, whether or not it was any good. Um, and, I, and I do think that Marvel, in general, is, has a certain level of, uh, uh, you know, a certain level they want to live up to with the scripts. Um, again, we can we can all we can arguably say that not all of those again have been home runs, but even some of the ones that are are less liked, like Immortals, is the one that comes to mind. Even that was, even though it was, I think, like a fifty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Even though it was arguably one of the worst of the Marvel movies um, in the latest um, generation of movies. Um, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't one of those ones that's, you know, 15%, 20%. So if they're going back to for rewrites, I have to assume that it was for a good reason. Um, and I would like to see, and again, I, I was, I liked the older Blade movies. I wasn't, a, I wasn't turned off by them. Now, granted, I don't know that they hold up 
uh, by today's standards at all, but I didn't think they were terrible. So what I'm hoping is that this particular franchise does get off to a good start. Um, again, there's, you know, I think there's a lot of superhero fatigue starting to set in. Um, so I think it does make it a bit more challenging to have um, these scripts that are, that they know are going to, they, they need to do well, particularly with the cost of, of making some of these movies. Um, so I think it's never a bad thing if there's any concern about the direction the script is in or the writing of the script, that going back to the drawing board and starting over isn't necessarily a bad thing. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I agree with that. I think a big part of this is likely that Blade, just as a character, I think is kind of hard to fit into the current mold of the MCU. There are a few Marvel characters that I think are, are tough to get to work with, the, but the tone that the MCU has, uh, you know, I think there's like a common thread among all the MCU movies that you can, you know it when you see it kind of thing. Like you watch an MCU movie and you can kind of tell, okay, this is part of the Marvel universe. And it's part of the, what makes the MCU work is that they're, they have a very consistent tone. Um, while having the flexibility to allow directors kind of express their uh, creative freedom, you know, uh, some of them have been very different in in terms of style, but there is always a common tonal uh, and visual style to all of them that kind of links them all together. And I think there's a few characters. So you got like Blade, um, I think uh, Ghost Rider, is another one that would probably be very difficult to get to work. Um, and uh, the Punisher as well, just because, you know, you watch the old blade movies and not, not to say that that would be the basis of how they would get blade to look in MCU, but they are very, very, very different than what the MCU is going for now. Uh, so I think that's probably a big challenge of, of trying to get blade to work is how do you get this character to, you know, live up to what they are in the comics and maybe, you know, also live up to what the fans of the old movies are expecting, but also get them to, to fit in the current mold of the, of the tone of the MCU. Um, plus, I think there's another issue uh, that the MCU kind of has uh, that, that's been kind of growing over time that it's very difficult to get an MCU movie to stand on its own. Um, because they're always building towards the next kind of big event. And this is honestly a, an issue that the comics have too, where everything's so interconnected now that there's not kind of an expectation that the Blade movie is probably not just going to be a Blade movie. It's probably going to be a Blade movie. And then there's some, some other character that they have to also fit in there as well. And you have to make sure that they, tonally they also fit. So I think that's probably... You know, just my speculation as to some of the issues that are probably going on behind the scenes, but hopefully they they work it out and uh, they're able to get it to work. What's interesting about this is that there are many people saying that if you watch the bonus scenes in the Immortals, they're convinced it's Blade's voice and uh, a reference is being made. So we kind of have a starting off point. But as you said, you have a whole big event situation all leading up to the two Avenger films that have had a couple of rumored storyline leaks um, come out. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I have watched the first four episodes of season two of Loki. 
And while I'm not going to spoil anything, it is very, in some ways, convoluted in that there's not a lot of action in it. You're dealing with all these variations and permutations of the timeline and, you know, certain characters as to are they this or are they that and which one is this and which one is that. And you have episodes that are about 45 to 53 minutes long. And there is a very good one in the third episode with Jonathan Majors, so on and so forth. But you kind of get the idea of, okay, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I'm left with more questions than, than answers. And what exactly is going on? And it kind of makes me think about this whole situation that started... Uh, with Loki, and then you got into Ant-Man Quantumania, and now you have Loki Season 2. They're going down this path with Kang and Jonathan Majors. We all know that he has got some off-screen issues that he is dealing with right now. They've already locked in Secret uh, Wars and the Kang Dynasty Avenger films. And, you know, we can speculate as to, I've heard people say, well, they're just not going to do the Kang Dynasty and they're going to move to Secret Wars. And I've heard people say, oh, they'll just recast him and it'll be a very, or hey, it'll all get resolved and he'll be back. Bottom line, that doesn't really matter. I look at it in the picture of, I don't think there's necessarily a fatigue. I think it is a case of, they knocked it out of the park with, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, Chris Evans as Captain America. They have been spot on with their casting, and that has continued down the line. I think the problem is they were very good at taking, as we saw with the Guardians of the Galaxy, unknown and smaller characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I mean from the Marvel Comics, and flipping them into major stars. As time went on, they started to acquire more and more of their characters back. They have the rights to everyone now except the Spider-Man characters, and that one they do have a shared agreement with. I think the biggest problem is when you had Iron Man and when you had Captain America step away, they have not, ha and, and for you know larger purposes, the Guardians, although we have heard that Star-Lord and a few of them may pop up again very soon, the biggest problem, I think, is we have not had that front and center Marvel cinematic superhero step forward amongst the new characters. I know that they had thought maybe Captain Marvel would be it, but that was the thing. When you had Robert Downey Jr., when you had Captain America, regardless of all the other stuff going on, we knew that every year or two we were going to get a new outing from them, and that was going to be the linchpin film, and then meanwhile we could use the other films. We don't have the linchpin film right now. You know, I'm kind of looking at the um, extended lineup, and a lot of them are introduction films. We don't have the, hey, folks, you know, here's Spider-Man back, and here's Captain America and all of that. And I think that's kind of the thing right now. I mean, Shang-Chi and Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel and great, fantastic. I'm glad they're coming back. I'm glad we're seeing more. We don't have the big event film that I think we've been missing. I mean, like, you know, Captain America's Civil War, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, these knocked it out of the park. 
and these were massive epic films uh, that led up to the huge success of the Avenger films. I'm not seeing the same level of excitement for this current crew building up to the new Avenger films, and hopefully, hopefully that'll change. Now, uh, speaking of excitement, a new set of polls recently came out that talked about customer satisfaction with the streaming services. Uh, this year, the number one service was Max, dropping from 94% to 88% satisfaction, followed by Hulu at 87 and Disney Plus at 85%. Uh, Disney dropped three points. Hulu retained their same score as the previous year, uh, followed by Apple TV that went up uh, five points from last year, and Paramount Plus uh, was in fifth place. Now, ironically, uh, Netflix was sixth, and uh, Prime Video and Peacock tied for seventh, although Peacock did had a six-point increase over last year. Starting with you, Justin, what do you make of this? Yeah, it's interesting numbers. I, I, want the, my, I guess my first thought that occurs to me is it seems like some of the larger or the ones that have better scores have uh, a smaller base of, of, um, of people. So HBO Max, I'm, I'm going to, and I, I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but I'm going to guess HBO Max probably has this one of the smaller uh, customer bases of, of all the streaming services, um, but the highest satisfaction. Um, I think part of that might be just that HBO Max is kind of a premium service in the, in the sense that if you're subscribing for HBO Max, you're, you're very likely subscribing for the very specific uh, shows that are offered by HBO and created by HBO. Um, if Amazon and Netflix are, are larger uh, libraries that a lot of the content on them is not driven by Netflix and Amazon specifically, not made internally, um, but is more of just a larger, larger platform. Uh, and I just know anecdotally, a lot of people are growing a, a little more dissatisfied with, with Netflix just because over time, the, the amount of content that Netflix offers for its price, that ratio has been going in the opposite direction where Netflix was once a very affordable service that offered tons and tons and tons of shows. Uh, they've been kind of going in the opposite direction. There's been uh, there's been price increases with Netflix, and uh, on the same token, there's also been a decrease in the amount of content that Netflix offers. So I think that's largely part of it. Plus, I think Netflix in particular has uh, been through a, a few cycles where some of the shows that uh, that they really pushed hard and invested in hard uh to be kind of like headlining tv shows that would bring you to their service weren't very well received uh and didn't get second seasons um so i think that's also part of it too there's just been a um a very long narrative with with netflix that uh they've been kind of struggling a little bit to get some of their shows to work so i think that would probably be also part of the reason why they're a little bit lower on the list apple uh that actually doesn't surprise me. I've actually heard a lot of good things about the shows that Apple 
uh, offers uh, on their streaming service. So I think that would probably be uh, one of the things that um, has been driving their their scores upward. Uh, at the end of the day, if you kind of uh, take like a bird's eye view of all these scores, what it seems to me is the ones where there's a lot of good. I mean, just and of course this would be the case. It just the, the simple the simplified case that if you offer good original exclusive content, you're probably going to get good scores. I think that's probably what it really comes down to. And Michael, your take, please. Yeah, and I agree. I think when Netflix was kind of the only sh- only player in town, a lot of folks went there not only for original content, but a lot of the time they went there for older movies, movies that they couldn't find on demand, or that you know that it was more of the go-to for watching just movies, right? When more of these um, streaming services began releasing their own content, um, you know, we talked like HBO Max with um, Game of Thrones, obviously, um, more recently, Last of Us, um, White Lotus, those kind of stuff. You get that premium content of the new shows along with the HBO movies and, and even some of the, you know, regular TV shows as well. Um, and then we talk about, you know, um, Hulu and other ones that, are, that start off offering the same content that Netflix had offered for a long time plus, right? Um, Not that Netflix hasn't had some good um, shows of their own, but they've been kind of a a little bit more, um, I guess, not as as huge as far as um, something like Game of Thrones or HBO would be. Um, So, and again, I think a lot of times when you're, when you're paying for a, 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 like Justin said, when you're paying for a specific service, um, you're paying for the, the shows that you want to see. And I think the problem with Netflix is you're not getting any what you're paying for anymore. Again, when they when you wanted to have be able to stream or binge watch movies or shows and Netflix was the only game in town, of course they were, were popular. But now they're forced to kind of step, you know up their game and they're now competing with the like Peacock, they're competing with uh, Disney, they're competing with... Um, HBO, Max, you know, Showtime, all of those, you know, IPs that own all the different IPs. So Netflix is finding it more and more difficult to gain um, any of those properties that belong to Universal or belong to Paramount or belong to HBO or belong to any of these other um, major studios. So they're either coming up with their own IPs and, and paying to develop those or they're having to make arrangements with other studios and not necessarily getting the best deal. So I think of all of those, it, it doesn't surprise me that Netflix is starting to um, kind of falter a little bit in there um, when they had the, the whole of the industry. Things like, I think, Amazon Prime, you know, that doesn't, most people get Amazon Prime for free I, as far as they pay for Amazon Prime for shipping and they get the streaming service included. Um, so I, I think that's, to me, that's always just been kind of an afterthought. It exists because I pay for Amazon Prime for other reasons. I think Peacock is still new. Uh, one thing that's impressed me with Peacock is they are starting to get a lot more um, newer original series, and we're starting to see um, that take off a bit, but they're still pretty much in their infancy. Honestly, I thought that was one that uh, for a while we didn't know was going to survive or if it was going to be absorbed by some other 
um, streaming service, but I think it's starting to find its footing and starting to um, explode with some with some newer content. So I think, generally speaking, it, you know, I think Peacock being where it's at, um, I don't think it's too much of a, a shock. I think, again, they're working their way up. Disney and, and Hulu both kind of share that same spotlight um, with Hulu, you know, offering some of the more adult stuff along with the ABC type stuff. Um, Disney offering the more family friendly stuff and the, you know, the Disney Marvel star Wars IPs. So I think those kind of being where they're at is pretty much what we would expect. So I don't think really anything too surprising. Uh, again, I think with Netflix, they're going to have to really work to evaluate either coming up with their own IPs or somehow trying to compete with the major studios to gain, um, gain an IP from them or, or share in that profit. And I think Netflix is in a really difficult spot with all these other, all these other streaming services coming up. You know, it's interesting. Talk about losing some impact. People say, oh, they're old shows and this and that. Look back to Netflix when they had The Office, Parks and Recreation, and all the Star Trek series. They don't have any of those right now. Those are all at rival networks, all of whom, with the exception of Peacock, have scored higher than them now. You know, give or take. I, believe, well, I take it back. Paramount Plus is right there. But, you know, this, between the writer's strike, the actor's strike, and COVID, they took an absolute beating with their, you know, signature series, Stranger Things, and that sort of thing. And the running joke is that by the time these kids get around to filming the final season, they're not going to be kids anymore. They're going to be, I mean, you know, one of them's getting married, for goodness sake. It just goes to show you uh, time marches on and audiences will find other things. You mentioned Peacock. They've got the Continental going on right now. The uh, final episode's going to wrap up soon. We don't know if we're going to get more of that, but if, I wouldn't be shocked. We've had Twisted Metal, which we're hoping to get an announcement on more content for that coming soon. And they have been doing a lot better with cranking out original content. You look at Hulu. They just announced today, right after the um, strike ended, that Only Murders in the Building is indeed coming back for a fourth season. And that has been a very popular show that does appeal to a wide demographic and is, you know, something that people are excited about. It's starting to grow more and more of an audience. Uh, so, you know, we'll be curious to see what comes. Uh, Peacock uh, is getting back to them. They're going to be benefiting very soon from things like Chucky, things like uh, Quantum Leap, things like uh, Resident Alien, which are all going to be returning and will go there to... Uh, you know, do their next day showcases because uh, they had talked about the studios. They had already had these things filmed. So this is going to be fresh content that people are excited over. So a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to keep an eye out. I also wanted to mention game-wise, Assassin's Creed Mirage is due out this week. So hopefully uh, we'll get a chance to review that. Uh, but a lot of interesting stuff ahead. We have New York Comic Con coming up very soon, and we have crews uh, getting ready to go out and covering that. So, a lot of stuff that we worked on this week, and that is going to do it for us this week. I hope everybody has a very safe and happy 
uh, weekend and days ahead. We'll be back with a more normal format in a week as we should all be back and in one place. So until that time, folks, be well and take care.